This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Health One. In early March, before the effects of COVID-19 swept the nation, the Emergency Medical Minute collaborated with CarePoint Health to host a brewcast on pediatric emergencies. Here is Dr. Karen Wolf presenting on pediatric documentation pearls. Okay, so I'm Karen Wolf here to talk about how to make your chart look pretty. So, as you know, kids are not little adults, so just because you put something in your adult chart and it looks really good and it covers your rear end the way you want it to, it does not mean it will look good in your pediatric chart. And there are things you can put in your pediatric chart that'll make it look like you weren't paying any attention at all to your patient. So we're gonna look at this by systems. I'm kind of gonna like put review systems and physical exam together just for sake of time. Uh, so general, first system that we look at, that's actually one of the most important in kids. And it'll give you a lot of information. So how does the kid look? Are they toxic? So if they're truly lethargic, they're not responsive to you, they're not interactive, are they apneic, are they cyanotic? That's important to know. Are they ill-appearing but not toxic? So they look like they don't feel good, but they know what's up. They're appropriately afraid of you, they interact appropriately. Uh, they might be screaming at you, but that may be appropriate for the situation. Are they consolable? So do they cry when you approach them, but stop crying and you have to look at them from the doorway to get them to smile at you? That's important to note. Are they running around the room? Are they waving at you? Are they blowing snot bubbles at you and thinking it's hilarious? Are they pulling all the linens out of the cabinet? Those are all things that you can write down and note that are helpful. Because if you can say, this child is running around the room, they're sucking down popsicles, because you know, they, they haven't eaten in three days and all of a sudden they realize popsicles are good, those are things that help you note that a kid looks okay. Lethargic. I probably use the word lethargic in a chart 10 times in my career. It's a loaded word, it implies toxicity. If a child is lethargic, they will not interact, they won't fight with you, they won't fight with a nurse. If they're crying during your exam, if they're pulling their pulse ox probe off, if they're fighting the RN during vitals, they are not lethargic. I won't personally even write down that a parent said they're lethargic. I will ask the parent, what were they doing? And I'll say, oh, oh, they're sleeping more today. They're less active than usual today. I personally don't put lethargic in a chart because lethargic means that kid is systemically ill. Things to be careful about in neonates and young infants, if you pick that pediatric chart in ED orders, it talks about smiling or playful. Well, if they're less than two to three months old, they probably aren't smiling at you, unless it was by accident. And if they were, say, less than eight or nine months old, they're probably not all that playful. So just be careful. Note what you see. Don't just choose what's in front of you because it's there. Uh, vital signs. So know your vitals that are age appropriate. You might have to look them up, and that's okay. So general principles, heart rate comes down the older you get, blood pressure goes up the older you get. So avoid the temptation, and this was worse when we had a T-system because it was an option in T-system. Avoid the temptation to label it a two-year-old with a heart rate of 130 as tachycardic. That's in the upper range of normal. Most of us, you get a two-year-old down to 130, they're out the door. We're thrilled. Uh, if they have abnormal vitals, though, make sure you address that and note it and do something about it. So sometimes there's a real problem. But sometimes, like on one of my shifts in North Suburban, we have an EMT that hasn't done very much with kids, documents a pressure of 60 over 30, and I'm watching a kid run, uh, I see it in the tree, they, this kid had been triaged before I saw him, blood pressure 60s over 30s, and I see a kid running back to Pete's. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not what that kid's blood pressure is. So make sure you address it, document how you addressed it, whether it was real or a problem. Okay, starting with the head. So you're gonna look for signs of trauma. A lot of parents will say their baby rolled off the bed. Sometimes they roll off the bed if they're old enough to roll. Sometimes 
they're making stuff up. But if they're telling you that, then you get a lot of signs of trauma. So, is there any swelling? You want to note that. Is there any bruising? Are there any step-offs? You want any kind of, anytime any infant head exam is going to include documentation of the fontanelle. If it's open, you can actually put down some really useful things about it. Is it flat? Is it sunken? Is it bulging? It can tell you something about hydration status. It can tell you something about infection, trauma. Those are important things to note. But if the fontanelle is closed, don't say you checked it. So most of them are closed by, when we're talking posterior fontanelle, anterior fontanelle closes very early and it's small. So posterior fontanelle typically closes by 18 months, almost all by two years. So if you click that fontanelle as open, soft, and flat in a three-year-old, now it just looks like you weren't paying attention. Respiratory, there's not a whole lot that's different about respiratory, at least on the, when you're auscultating, you're going to obviously document the usual, breath sounds, wheezing, rails, whatever. But little kids, it can be very hard to find focal respiratory findings. They, focal rattles don't always show up in a tiny little kid because their normal breast sounds from other fields may override those. So you need to look for other things. So they have increased work of breathing. Are they belly breathing? Are they have retractions? Where are their retractions? Are they nasal flaring? Those are all things to note either the presence of or the absence of. And then apnea. If a parent reports apnea or you see apnea, put it down, especially in a neonate. And if you note that, that could be a clue to RSV, other respiratory illness, sepsis. So those are things to pay attention to. Cardiovascular. Again, remember your patient's age. What can they tell you? One-year-olds aren't going to tell you that their chest hurts. Right? They're not going to tell you that they're dyspneic when they're running around. Uh, they're not going to know about palpitations. They might have cyanosis. I had somebody in our group say, oh, they don't report cyanosis. Well, a parent might report cyanosis to you. But it's typically going to be respiratory rather than cardiac, but not always. You're going to hear a lot of murmurs. You hear them document them. Most of the time, they're benign. A lot of kids are going to have a 2 out of 6 systolic ejection murmur, especially when they have a fever. That's okay. Note it. If it's something other than a systolic ejection murmur, definitely note it, because that may be something else. Make sure you pay attention to cap refill in, any kind, in a sick kid. Always document that. And then pulses. You want to look for symmetry. Right versus left, up versus down. That's going to give you a clue to any kind of congenital heart disease in a baby. Abdominal pain. So a baby can't tell you if their belly hurts. Right? So don't just note that they have belly pain or they don't. Parents will say to you, and I hear it a lot, I think their belly hurts. Sometimes those parents have no idea what's going on. Sometimes they really do. If that baby's pulling their legs up and screaming, that's probably belly pain. But you want to write that. You don't want to say abdominal pain. You want to say, mom notes, infants, you know, he's pulling up his legs and crying and screaming. Vomiting. When you talk about vomiting, is it bilious or not? Is it bloody or not? If it's bilious in a newborn, you want to think about obstruction. End of story. It's an emergency. It's obstruction until you prove it's not. If it's bloody in a newborn, it could just be a milk protein allergy. It could be something more serious. Again, you want to note that. Every parent will tell you it's projectile. All vomiting is projectile until proven otherwise. It could be pyloric stenosis, but it could really just be reflux in a baby. So... You don't have to work them all up for pyloxenosis just because the parents say it's projectile. I feel like that term has made its way out into the world, and I don't know how. It gets used a lot. On exam, tenderness can be really hard to, like, they're going to, like, if they just hate you, which they might hate you, and that's okay. <laughs> tenderness can be difficult to assess because they're screaming all the whole time. You don't know if they're, like, they're crying the whole exam. You can't tell if they're tender. You can't tell if their belly's soft. You can't tell if they have rebound. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. So just note what you see. So I have written, screaming through whole exam. Difficult to assess abdominal tenders. That's okay. Extremities, same problem. Think about their age. Know if they're, about their ability to report symptoms. So they might not be able to tell you their extremity hurts, but you can see what they're doing. You can note whether they have bruising. You can note whether they have swelling. Note whether they're limping, like Dr. Dar was saying. You can, you can hold them up. Even a, a kid who's not walking yet, like a kid who's learning to pull the stand or is already pulling the stand, you hold them up, that one leg will come up. How do they lay? How are they lying on the bed? They have a position of comfort. If, if, if your kids with a septic hip will lay with their 
the affected leg abducted and externally rotated. So those are all things you can know. Knee pain in a kid. If a kid tells you they have knee pain, think about their hips every time. Hip pain refers to the knee a lot. Um, so make sure you document both a knee and a hip exam. Skin. We're going to hear about rashes after me. So I'll go through that one briefly. And they want the pediatrician. We're like, we're like amateur dermatologists. <laughs> Except that I am not. I got to tell you, I am not. When y'all call me and send me a picture of a rash, I'm like, yeah, that's a rash. I'm not. That's a pink rash. <laughs> My mom told me to be a dermatologist. I didn't listen. But yeah, so you want to describe the type of the rash. Papular, is it macular? Every rash, I think, in emergency medicine, that's maculopapular, right? Like, they're all... <laughs> But I mean, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're nodules. Sometimes they're purpura. Sometimes they're vesicles. That's important. What are the other things going around? Are they scratching the heck out of it? Are there excoriations? Is there crusting? Is there scaling? <coughs> Those things to know. How are they distributed? Are they everywhere? Are they clumped? Are they linear? Location. Only on the face. Only on the trunk. Only on the arms. Everywhere. Start on the head, went down. Start on the body, went up. Those are all things to know because that'll help you with your differential. Neuro. Please don't say that a toddler is oriented times three. I don't know that my nine-year-old is oriented to them. <laughs> uh, but you can say, are they alert? Are they arousable? Are they consolable? These are things we can talk about. GCS, though, there's a scale for that. Find the age-appropriate scale and document their GCS in, you know, in, in appropriate situations. Speech. You can document normal speech in a pre-verbal kid. If they're screaming like a banshee and that's the only sound they make, that is not normal speech. But if you hear them interacting with their parents, babbling in an appropriate way, like in a normal way, those, you can note that. That's normal speech. Tone is another thing you can look at. Are they floppy? Are they stiff? Are they neither? Hopefully. Is our exam symmetric? So those are all things you can note in a pre-verbal kid or a, a little kid. So that's it. So I'm quick and easy. So that's my reputation. Um, to summarize, just make sure you look at their age. What can this kid do? What can they tell you? Make sure that you are documenting appropriate to that. So you may heavily rely on what the parents say about them, and that's okay. And as much as kind of, there are times you want to roll your eyes and say, well, the parents say this, but that's a crazy tale. But a lot of times that's what you have, and you have to start there. You may end up ruling out what the parents are telling you, but that's where you have to start. Document what you see, right? You may have no ability to rely on the patient's report, and the parent's report may be skewed. So look at what you see and doc, just document what's right in front of you. Try to know what's developmentally appropriate. I personally, before I take the boards, relearn the developmental stages because I'm not a general pediatrician anymore. I wouldn't expect any of you guys to know all the developmental stages, but use some common sense, right? So six months old, don't walk. Make sure that a normal gait's not in your chart. Things like rolling off a bed. Chris was saying, if a two-month-old rolls off a bed, they don't roll you. And those are things that are easily, I mean, now that we have take-home boards, I Google that before I get to that question. <laughs> right? That is easily Google, I promise. And then if you have questions, we're always around. So that's it. We are on a quest to provide the world with free medical education. Please help us out by rating us on iTunes, following us on social media, and subscribing to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.